The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Priority number one is, is really simple from the scriptures, is that we would love God, love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and likewise, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we ask the question, how do we grow in love for God? And what will be the results of our love for God? There are three things that, that the Lord has really placed on our heart as a church community in this season. As we love God more and more, we will be a praying church. That will be not just our last resort, but our first priority that we will unashamedly, boldly seek the face of God in humble prayer because he's our father that loves us. Both in the first service and the second service, we heard the voices of children praying. And, and we delight in that. How much more so does, does the Father, our perfect Father in heaven, delight in our prayers and praises as we lift them up to him? As we love God more and more, we will be a praying church. As we love him more and more, we will be a, a praising church, a church that is unified in joyful declaration of worship in spirit and in truth, praise with our mouths. Some of you have told me this week that, that worship is, is more than singing, but praise that word praise, it's very difficult to praise in silence, isn't it? Praise has sound. Praise has volume. Praise is loud. And when, when Jesus, we'll look at this in the next couple of weeks, when he enters into Jerusalem and to shouts of praise before the crucifixion, those that are disturbed by this, the Pharisees among them, they protest against this. Stop saying these things about him. And he says, if they don't, then the very stones will cry out. It's going to be loud no matter what when the king of glory enters in. So we will be a, a praising church. Let us not be a church where we have to hear the stone singing. Let's be a church that praises him aloud. As we love him more and more, we will be a proclaiming church, a church that unrelentingly testifies to what we have seen and heard, that Jesus came to say, seek and save sinners like us and that life is found in him. God would have us love him more and more. And this week, we're going to talk again about praise. We began this discussion last week and worship is so much more than singing. Worship is this self-sacrifice, this laying down of our lives for Jesus, for our Lord putting our lives on the altars. But one of the ways in which we do that, one of the ways in which we express our devotion and our worship to God is through our songs of praise, music and lyrics lifted up to his glory. Now, not all singing is worship. I know some of you sing some terrible songs that are not actually worship. And some, you have some terrible songs stuck in your heads all the time that are not, not worship. But Godward singing, the songs of the creation directed at our creator have characterized our faith for thousands of years based on our Jewish foundation of songs to the only God. I, I stirred up some controversy in some small groups this week when I said that 15% uh, or 15% of the scriptures had a tune at some point. And there was this question of, well, how could you possibly even know that? Um, fair enough. But how about this? Over 400 times in scripture, there are references to singing. Over 400 times. And there are more than 50 commands, imperatives, for us to sing praises to God. Is it fair to say that this is a major theme in the scriptures? I think so. I think it's, it's very clear that this is mentioned many times, many references to making God's glor God glorifying sounds with claps, with instruments, and with our voices. Why do we do this? Even God Almighty sings. We are his image bearers. And Zephaniah chapter three says that God is in the midst of his people and he, he sings over us. He sings over us. This is an amazing 
thing. And as we are image bearers of God, we will, be one, uh, we will sing his praises. Why do Christians sing? If you missed last week, uh, this is what we talked about. We looked at kind of the theological basis for, for singing. Why Christians sing in scripture? Number one, singing glorifies God. It's an act of worship. Number two, singing changes us. As we sing what is true, as we declare what is true in voice to the Lord, it changes our hearts and our minds. It renews our minds in what is true. It changes us. It's a means of discipleship. Thirdly, singing testifies to the world. It is a draw to salvation. When the world looks upon this this diverse community of people who have have very little in common other than our love for the Lord, when they look at our collective gaze, attention, and affection fixed on the cross of Christ, they have to wonder, who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? Our worship draws others, and we'll see that in the passage today. As we extol and glorify our God with genuine praise, the world cannot help but wonder. These are the reasons we talked about last week, the, the reasons that we sing. And this week, we're going to talk much more about the how, how to cultivate a life of praise, how to make this part of your daily existence, because that's where we live, in the day-to-day and in, in the physical um, life that we have. We'll talk about the how, but well, let me give you one more reason why we sing. I want to talk about, before the practice of singing, the power of praise, the, the power of praise. Godward singing is powerful. And what we see in scripture, reason number four that we sing is that singing drives away our enemies. Singing drives away our enemies. It is a weapon of spiritual warfare. Uh, Let's be honest. Some of you, your singing drives away everybody, right? (laughs) Except for God. Except for God who delights in the songs of his children. I have children of my own. When they sing songs and they repeat the phrases and say the wrong words and all these things, I still delight in it. I still enjoy it. And in the same way, no matter how good your voice is or your skill on instruments, yes, Scripture appoints certain people in the Old Testament as the worship leaders of the people, those that are gifted in that way. But all of us have a song to sing because we all have a God to worship who is worthy of our praise. And what we see in Scripture is that that God reveals himself to his people as they pray. Psalm 22, 3 says this. It says, God inhabits the praises of his people. It's hard to wrap our minds around this. We, we stumble over the theological language sometimes. We say, well, God is omnipresent, which means he's where? Everywhere, right? And as believers, we're indwelt by his spirit. He lives within each one of us. And so we, we struggle with the spatial language of God. And where is he? And, and come and meet with us. And we sing these songs about your presence and all this stuff. And we're like, what are we doing here? Well, what, what theologians describe this as is the manifest presence of God. And we see this all over the scriptures. Yes, God is omnipresent. But sometimes... He chooses to reveal himself to people in a way that they can physically, mentally comprehend and experience. We see the Lord appear to people in a cloud or in fire or or sometimes his his glory is simply described as a weight, a heaviness. And one of the, the primary occasions in scripture in which we see God manifest his presence and his glory to the people of God in a way that they can feel is as they praise him in worship, as they sing praises to God. And in this passage in in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to see the people of God praying, praising, and then what God does being proclaimed to the nations around them. And we're going to see God reveal himself to the people of Judah in a a very dramatic way. You can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm not going to read every verse in this passage because it is a long chapter, but it really is an amazing chapter. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's about mm, a third of the way through your Bible, if you have your Bible with you. 
And what's going on here in the kingdom of Judah is, is after Solomon's reign, all the 12 tribes of Israel were united. They were one, and then they broke apart. It all pretty much fell apart quickly after Solomon's reign ended. Down in the south, we have the kingdom of Judah, which is small, but primarily, or most of the time, faithful to God, at least at first. And then in the north, we have all the other tribes known as Israel in the north, and they are not faithful to God, and they really quickly go off the rails. And we'll talk about that some other time. But down in, in Judah, some, several generations after Solomon's reign, there's a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is king uh, in Judah, and it's a great name. If you're thinking about a name for your future son, consider it. Uh, and here's what it says in verse 1. It says, After this, though Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. That's from the land of Esau, the, the kind of desert lands in the south of Jerusalem. From beyond the sea. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And no kidding. You've just been told that three nations are rising against yours. They're coming and surrounding Jerusalem. They're coming against him, this small nation. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. That's his response. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. As some of you are dealing with pressures in life, anxieties, you're overwhelmed. You, you feel, in a sense, like spiritually surrounded. And we're going to see the power of what we've been talking about over the, the last several weeks in this passage. What do the people do in response to this external pressure? They gather together. They fast. That means they, they stop eating. And they pray. They pray. They come to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? This is so interesting what he does. All this pressure, all this anxiety, all this mounting fear, and his first words out of his mouth in front of the congregation are praise to God. Glory to God. The king, none is able to withstand you, he goes on to say. And he describes the history of God's faithfulness to his people. And then he says, Lord, won't you stand for us? And I love this if you look ahead to, to verse 12. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a beautiful prayer right there. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This morning in our first service, we had children crying out to the Lord for their mom who's going through cancer treatment. Some of you are going through similar things, similar hardships, and that is really what we can say is, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what to do. Where are you in this? And this is the prayer of Jehoshaphat. I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And they're all gathered together. The whole nation is gathered together, praying and bowing before the Lord. Little ones, the wives, the children, the men, they're all gathered together. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. One person. The spirit of God comes upon one person with a prophetic word for the people. He stands up in the midst of this crowd and has the courage somehow to speak out something that sounds absolutely insane as the spirit of God is upon him. He says, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This guy is an ordinary servant in the temple. He's, he's part of the, the family of Levites. He's just a guy. And he stands up and addresses the entire nation gathered and the king. And he says this, do not be afraid. 
And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he says, tomorrow we're going to go out and you will find your enemy across the valley. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Oh, Judah, Jerusalem, don't be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And then what happens next is, is in response to this word of prophecy from this one individual, the king falls down on his face in reverence. The whole group gathered, they fall down and they bow in reverence to the Lord. And then something wild happens. The Levites of the Kohathites and Korahites, that's, that's the worship leaders of the church, the singers among them who have been appointed to this task in the temple worship. It says they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Think about this. The, the nations are surrounding them. They have uh, the prophetic word of one person and the response of this gathered community is to bow down in prayer and then a few individuals and then many individuals stand up and they sing. They sing with a very loud voice. The next morning, they go to the battlefield and they draw their lines and they see the, the enemy nations coming against them, three enemies gathered against them. And Jehoshaphat's stands up among them and says to the children of Judah, he says, hear me, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is his strategy. Let's line up all the soldiers and at the front, send in the singers. The front line, not spears, not shields, not horses, singers. The, the worship leaders of their community. And you can just picture it. These, these people, are, are they equipped for this? Think of the courage of these people as, as these worship leaders in their skinny jeans with their smoke machines are, are wheeling up to the front <laughs> of the battleground. Not exactly uh, the force that you would expect. And yet what they do is they go before the army in front of the army as a barrier of protection from the troops behind and they sing and they say give thanks to the lord for his steadfast love endures forever the song that has been the song of their people for generations give thanks to the lord for his steadfast love endures forever and then what happens it says and when not before and when they began to sing and praise. In response, it says, The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting themselves, uh, them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So the people of Judah are gathered together, their small armies surrounded by three nations in the distance. And as they sing, they see those three nations turn on each other and fight, and destroy one another. And they don't even have to lift, lift a finger, a sword, a blade in battle. They simply watch the Lord win the battle for them. Jumping to verse 27, it says, And then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. They pray 
God speaks to them and leads them as they pray. He strengthens them as they pray, and then they praise him. They sing out loud. That is their, their battle cry, their weapon of warfare. And then after this victory is given to them in the Lord, this word of what has happened, what the Lord has done is proclaimed abroad, when, and all the nations hear of what God has done, and they experience peace all around. I love this passage. Like this, this passage really, it has it all, doesn't it? The people of God facing these enorm, enormous, overwhelming odds, this opposition, and they pray and they pray and, and then they submit themselves to God and, and just say this, we are powerless against this great horde coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Be still. The battle is the Lord's. Now, we can look at this passage and, and think it's wonderful, and we say, well, Mark, but this is descriptive. This is not prescriptive. This is not normative. This is not part of my life. You know, we, we're very fancy in the way we think about all these things, but this is actually what we see throughout Scripture. We've seen this in the Gospel of Mark, that, that Jesus comes against spiritual opposition. Do you know you have an enemy, a spiritual opponent, an accuser, an adversary, Satan, and he and his servants work against the people of God? And Jesus comes to, to person after person in the New Testament who are oppressed and demonized. He comes against these dark spiritual forces and with a word of command and authority, he drives away the darkness. Our enemy recoils at the name of Jesus, at the work of Jesus being declared, at the blood of Jesus being recognized for its cleansing power. Likewise, the people of God, the church, we, we have always known the power of the name of Jesus to, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom from oppression as, as we declare his name. And I just wonder about this. If Satan and his servants recoil at the very name of Jesus, how much more so the collective singing of the saints as we declare in loud voice the goodness and glory of our Lord. Martin Luther, the complicated uh, but famous reformer and theologian, he says it this way. He says, the devil that originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles. Sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles. Some of you are feeling that stuff. And he says, these originate from our enemy. He says, the devil flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. Then one forgets all wrath and purity and other devices. Now, this isn't just Martin Luther's idea. He, you could say, well, he's just making that up. No, we actually see that in the scriptures. In, in 1 Samuel, we see that, that Saul, the king, the original king of Israel, is oppressed by demonic spirits. He's in this, this period of darkness. And what does he do? He invites David, young teenager David, to bring his guitar and to sing songs before him. And what happens as David sings songs of praise to the Lord is that those evil spirits depart. They flee from Saul. We see this play out in the New Testament as well. The, the power of song to win these spiritual battles. The power of praise. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on their way to pray. I'll try to summarize this quickly, but they're on their way to pray in Philippi and this little girl every day is following them and with a demonic voice and inspiration is, is crying out and distracting everyone from their purpose as servants of the Most High God. And one day they've had enough of it and I don't know that this is necessarily the, the right motivation for spiritual battle, but they're annoyed. And Paul turns and he rebukes this evil spirit and drives it out of the little girl. And in response to that, that spiritual exchange of, of battle, that first um, volley from Paul, the kingdom of darkness rages in response. And a crowd of people comes together and starts tearing Paul and Silas apart, pulling on their clothes, 
beating them, hitting them with sticks. And the only thing that saves them in that situation is that they are snatched away from that crowd and placed in a hellish prison in chains. What do they do? What do they do with, with bruises all over them, probably broken ribs and crushed spirits? What do they do? Certainly they pray, they probably cry, and then they start singing. They start singing in the prison, and you remember the story. We went over this a few months ago, but they're in the prison, and it says about midnight, in the middle of the night, as there are all kinds of horrible cries, I'm sure, in that prison setting, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners are all listening to them. And then it says in verse 26 of Acts 16, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And you remember the story in response to this, the jailer is panicked. He thinks he's going to lose his life, but they stop him. They share the good news of the salvation of Jesus with him. And that very night, the jailer and his entire family come to faith in Jesus and are baptized. As they sing, God responds and sets free captives, both physically and spiritually. Praise is powerful. Praise is powerful. It's, it's powerful in that it's the natural response of us when we get even a glimpse of the glory and goodness of God. But it's also powerful because God seems to respond to the praises of his people. So the rest of our time today, what I, what I want to do is, as we've looked at this, this why we praise for the last two weeks, is how do we develop a life of praise? Because as I was praying about this for our church, it was how do we do this practically? And the response of the Lord, the gentle conviction of the Lord was, this needs to be true in your personal life. You need to have a life of praise in order for us to ever expect to have a community that is united in praise. So how can we cultivate this in our life? Number one suggestion is this, sing to yourself. Sing to yourself. Sounds weird, I know. But some of you already, you talk to yourself, don't you? And Buddy the Elf has taught us that singing is just like talking only longer and louder and you move your voice up and down. It's not that hard. It's as simple as that. Sing to yourself. You think that sounds funny, perhaps. Like, well, aren't we supposed to direct our praises to God? But we actually see this in, in the scriptures. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David and his mighty men have been out gallivanting around, fighting bad guys. And they come back to their camp in Ziklag, and they find that their wives and children have been kidnapped, which is frightening. Like, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. And in response to this, David's mighty men are upset at him for his bad leadership, and they are threatening, or at least talking about, stoning him. And this is his response. It says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed, no kidding, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then they go out and they rescue those that were kidnapped. But he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How does he do that? We see examples of this throughout the Psalms as he declares the, the truth of who God is even as he's lamenting and suffering and struggling and he sings to himself. Psalm uh, 42 says this. He's saying, the psalmist is feeling overwhelmed by stress and sorrow and he's, he's like, I used to lead people in worship when we would walk into the city and now I'm cast down. I'm depressed. I'm in darkness. I don't know what to do. And he says to himself, to his own soul, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And then he recognizes God for who he is, my salvation and my God. He sings to himself. This little chorus, it's repeated in 
verse 5 of chapter 42, verse 11, and then again in chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 5. And it gives us just an example of, of a language as, as the psalmist is encouraging and building himself up to sing songs that strengthen him in his resolve in the Lord. You can do this for yourself. Listen here, Mark. Wake up. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. Hope in God, my salvation. My salvation and my God, sing to yourselves. Do this in your life. Fill your car, your, your AirPods, your, your private walks with songs of praise. Some of you are already doing this. And remember the tremendous power that music and singing and the word of God have to change our minds and affections as we sing. If we know the power of, of a song and lyrics to shape our minds as we talked about last week, be careful then what you fill your mind with. What occupies your thoughts? What, what songs burst into your mind? Colossians 3.16 tells us that psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs help the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Are you constantly confronted by accusations and lies and, and, and schemes from the enemy? Fill your mind and let the spiritual songs of the truth dwell in you richly. So many other things vie for our, our attention. But when we sing, we strengthen our resolve, our hope, and our delight in the Lord. We can sing the truth in times of joy. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Or, or even simpler than that, Jesus loves me. This I know. How? For the Bible tells me so. We can sing in times of doubt. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, I will not fear. For God hath willed to triumph through us. Or simpler than that, this is my Father's world. The battle is not done. We can sing in times of trial and despair. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Last week, I had someone talk to me about what songs they would want sung at their funeral, and I thought that was a very interesting consideration. What truth do you want declared on your last day? What hope do you want those that come together to, to experience as they look forward to meeting you in the resurrection? I remember a terrible night back in the summer of 2020, which all of you probably had terrible nights back in the summer of 2020. Um, it was uh, looking back, it's, it's strange to even think about, but it was right in the midst of kind of that, that quarantine life and all the challenges that came with that, being stuck at home, isolated, uh, giving into our, our own flesh and desires through just a result of not being able to come together and worship for a period of time. And it was a challenging time in society for any of you who were leading, whether in businesses or spiritually, it was especially challenging uh, because you really didn't know what to do. It was this, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you kind of feeling all the time. We're supposed to be from the pulpit experts on, on race, on politics, on pandemics. Somehow we're, we're all these things, plus we're supposed to preach the word of God. Well, actually, that's the first and foremost thing that we are to do. But the pressure felt enormous. And in the midst of, of the pressure and the confusion and the anxiety of, of the season, I can remember um, my wife and I, we were walking through our own kind of personal tragedy behind the scenes. And I, I've shared this with you before, but as we're attempting to kind of walk through and lead through this difficult stuff. In the midst of that, 10 weeks into our pregnancy, we lost our baby. We had a, a miscarriage. 
And it's several years ago now, but I can still remember if I let my mind go there, the feelings of anguish and sorrow and grief and confusion. And for me at that time, a lot of anger too. Like, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? Some of you know this experience all too well and you know experiences like this. But the question is, as we're going through this, like, how do we respond? How do we respond when, when the ways of God just don't make sense to us? And what I can tell you is, is that despite all my complex feelings at the time and my sorrow and my anger, one of the things that ministered to me most during that season was, was the songs of truth and praise that directed my gaze at what was ultimately true. And one uh, chorus that came to my mind uh, often and repeated like a loop in my home and in my mind at the time was this. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. Great is your faithfulness. We can sing to ourselves. Secondly, we can sing as a household. What kind of music fills your home? Is your house a house of praise? Is it a house of of praise? If not, what can we do to practically fill our homes with the sounds of adoration toward God Almighty? One suggestion is this. Fill your home with God-glorifying music. We live in a time of unprecedented access to all kinds of music, all kinds of sounds, right? And we are constantly surrounded by sounds. Uncle Screwtape in the Screwtape Letters calls this, this the kingdom of noise, and that's a bad thing. We're surrounded by news, we're surrounded by notifications, we're surrounded by so-called knowledge. It's overwhelming. There are so many voices and things to listen to. But what if we were intentional to seek out the, the things that build us up in the Lord, to renew our minds and our households with the scriptures, with silence, if you can achieve it, and singing, singing praise to God. One of the ways in which you can do this is by listening to and playing Christian music in your home. Uh, even this week, we put together a Spotify playlist. It's on your notes. It's, it was on the slides earlier that you can go home and this week or in your car, you can listen to the songs that we sing as a church, many of the songs we sing week after week. And you can pick and choose the ones you want to keep listening to and get rid of the others. It's up to you. But this is um, one way that you can begin to cultivate a household of praise. Another way would be to incorporate praise into the rhythms of your family. I know some people sing the doxology before dinner with their kids. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Some sing to their children before bed. I do that occasionally, not nearly often enough. But as we do this, as we fill and find ways to awkwardly, yes, fill our songs our homes with music, it will change our children. It will change ourselves. It will change the people that live there, whether they're your roommates or your family members. It will stick with them. I can remember one of my earliest memories of this. I was with my family at the beach um, at our grandparents' cottage in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And what we do as a family when we're not gathered together here with you on Sundays, if we happen to be out of town for some reason, is we do Sunday church together, family church. And it's great. It's, uh, it's usually some scripture, uh, some singing, some fighting, some donuts, um, all the good stuff, right? And I can remember maybe 25 years ago uh, that one day my, my dad is leading the family in in our Sunday service as a family, and he doesn't have a guitar or anything else, but he simply sings a song that's been locked into his memory from long ago. Uh, He sings, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Do you know it? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. 
Now, I'm, I'm moving into this new position of leadership in the church. And I think one of the requirements is that I sing during sermons now, right? <laughs> if you know that song, and I do now, I remember it, I remember it from long ago and it kind of stuck with me. He had a song to sing. And it's not just a song. That's Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. That is the scriptures. And the word of God does not return void. This is stuck with me. How do we make our homes a home of praise? A third thing we can do is we can sing as a church. I know this uh, seems obvious after all, here you are. But as we talked about last week, there is power in this. And yet there's also resistance to it. It's not always easy to praise God together. We come in with all kinds of distractions, all kinds of disruptions going on in our lives. So how do we get the most out of these experiences? Actually, much more importantly, how do we maximize the glory that God receives as the family of God gathers in these weekly celebrations? How do we do that? The first suggestion is this, and we're coming to a conclusion here shortly, is this, prepare to praise. Prepare to praise. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. As uh, Pastor Milton likes to say, this is not a buffet. It's a potluck. You're supposed to bring something to worship. Some of you are bringing some, some stuff, but <laughs> you can also bring something to offer to God in worship. I know this is a struggle. I know it's tough. I have young children of my own. I know that somehow there's still traffic on 28, even on Sundays. I know all these things. We need more sleep. Uh, we're fighting with our spouse on the way in. Whatever is going on, that's okay. We can bring those things. We have courage to bring our burdens and to lay them at the feet of Jesus. But sometimes I know the challenge. We come in and we're so disconnected. We're discouraged. And it takes a lot of time before we're even ready to respond to the Lord in worship. What if we prepared ahead of time? What if we determined that even on Sundays we were going to get up and, and spend the time with our Father and to come prepared? I, I do my best to come prepared to church every week. I, I come here early, and whether I'm serving or not, I get to hear the band as they're uh, practicing and rehearsing the songs and worshiping. Even in rehearsal, I get to experience that. I'd encourage you, be on time or be early to church. Our church fills up about 10 minutes into the service every week. If you actually do come on time, you will be blown away by how empty it is. What if we prepared? What if we prepared for worship by coming on time, ready to participate, coming even early to be there when the singing begins? Another suggestion I have is maybe you would choose to move forward to engage more fully in the worship service. I know in, in, in your humility, you want to leave the best seats for someone else. But guess what? These are not the best seats. Come on forward. It will increase your engagement, your attention, your connection with the word as it's given and also with the singing. Another suggestion, and this is what I've done my entire life, is pray on the way. Pray on the way, whether you're with your spouse or with your kids or on your own. The two things I do, no matter what, as I'm coming to church, is I warm up my voice, which my kids make fun of, and... I pray. I pray, and you can do the same. I, I pray for the service. I pray for God's spiritual protection for our church. I pray for those who are leading and serving and whoever's preaching that Sunday. I pray for them because I know the burden that it is, and, and I pray that God will give strength and that his spirit would work through whoever is preaching from the word. And I pray for you. If you don't yet know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I pray for you every Sunday that you would come to know him today. We pray that God will be glorified and you can do the same. This is one of the best ways 
to more fully engage us by preparing through prayer. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to uh, not just prepare as we've been doing, but, but the, the next suggestion is this, participate in the praise. Participate in the praise. We do this by joining the chorus of voices. Your voices out here sitting here, this is the main instrument of our praise as a church. When we come together and worship, it is, it is not about anything going on up here as much as it is us collectively directing our praises to our worthy God. And we do this by raising our voices. We can do this with our, our physical actions, our body language. Well, we just read from Psalm 63, this verse that says that I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. How many of you struggle and have a hard time lifting up your hands in worship? Any of you? Yeah? Yeah, well, look how easy that was, right? <laughs> You don't have to. I understand um, we all have a, a range of emotions and, and uh, emotional bandwidth. It's difficult to express. And some of you who express nothing physically in worship, don't worry about people watching you. I, I know what it is to, to have deep waters going on with, within yourself and you're worshiping and on the outside you look completely stoic and like nothing's going on. But the truth is you can't even open your mouth to sing because if you do, you will weep. I know some of you feel that way sometimes okay. It's not about any kind of physical performance. It's not about it's something we do for the attention of other people around us. That's not the point. But there are things that we can do, whether it's the opening of our hands or the closing of our eyes, that may allow us to more fully focus on giving God the glory that he is due. So we do this by raising our voices, but by being prepared, by, by even opening our bodies physically so that our minds follow that we do this by bringing our skill on instruments. Some of you have skills on instruments or technically with sound stuff or with your voices that you need to tell us about, you need to share with us. God would have you dust off those old instruments and use those for his glory. And as we do so, our goal is to direct our attention and our hearts and our minds away from ourselves, away from what the people sitting next to us think, and collectively be unified in praising God Almighty, our good Father, why? Because his love is better than life. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. We're going to stand and we're going to praise God. And some of you might be in a hurry to pick up your kids. And I was encouraged by, um, by Moises up here to not say this again. I was going to let you go if you need to go. But instead, I'm going to say, just stay and praise God together, okay? It's worth it. Let's sing praises to our Lord.